I pray, Lord, that we would listen with ears of a disciple as those who uh, you are speaking to directly. I pray that we would see our lives mirrored in the word. And I pray that we would hear your specific word for our situation. And that word would not just bounce off the surface, but it would be transformational. And we rely so heavily upon you, Holy Spirit. For this. Would you do that this morning? Amen. 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 So do you have your Bibles already open at Mark and chapter 7? I have the beautiful privilege of sometimes just having a block in the diary where I can preach on whatever. Um, and it can be a real blessing because the Lord can really lead you to somewhere. It can be really difficult as well when you've just got a complete blank page and you think, what on earth am I going to preach about? Um, but the Lord has just sort of shone a light on this chapter for me and said, this is what I want to say to Totnes United Free Church. So we're just going to unpack the first part of this chapter together because I believe that God has got something to say to everybody. So Mark and chapter 7 and from verse 1. One day some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. What did they notice? They come amongst Jesus. Jesus is, is healing people. There are blind eyes being opened. There's deaf ears being opened. There's the poor that are discovering joy. There's this complete culture shift around Jesus. And there is this massive crowd that are now following Jesus, so excited because they're beginning to see that the Messiah is amongst them. It is an incredibly encouraging picture. And they come from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And what do they see? They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Well, I guess it depends what you're looking for. And then just for our benefit, Mark explains to us why that's important. He says, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions that they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So who is this word for? It's certainly not for a Jewish audience particularly, because they know all this stuff. They, they've grown up in these traditions. This is something that they've known since they were tiny children. Mark brings in this little bit of detail because he, this is going out to a Gentile world that wouldn't understand what Jesus is doing here and what the, the Pharisees are doing here unless he kind of fills us in with a bit of background detail. So this message is for you and me. That's the first encouragement that I draw from this. Even though I'm looking at a squabble between Pharisees and Jesus 2,000 years ago, I know that there is some, somebody is making an effort to help me to understand that this is relevant. This is for me. So the Pharisees, verse 5, and the teachers of the religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Ooh, the gloves are off. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. 
So this is the first approach that I'm seeing in this passage of a bunch of people coming to Jesus wanting to have an interface with Jesus. And it's interesting to see how Jesus responds. We may all be sitting here in the room today kind of feeling, well, you know, I'm I'm on board with Jesus. I'm not here to oppose Jesus. I'm not here to try and discredit him. I'm not trying to pick holes in his ministry. So I don't really relate to these pharisaical types. Well, I think there's a little bit of Pharisee in each of us. Not necessarily trying to tear Jesus down, but we do often come to Jesus with an agenda. You know? We may be people who have a well-developed philosophy of life. Uh, And we also might have things that we hold on to, which we have embraced from our culture that Jesus would challenge, but we're not ready to let go of them yet. There's some of us who love to be spiritual. I'm talking about human race. Not necessarily all of these people are in the room. But there are are some of us in the human race that just love to be spiritual. We love to be able to explore spiritual things. uh, But we don't really like the way Jesus tells us how to do it. And yet Jesus would say, I am the gate. Anyone who comes in another way is like a thief or a robber. Nobody comes to God except through me. Wow, that's a challenge. Some of us really enjoy wielding a little bit of power. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that you, as you've been given a position of authority, something within you changes, and you have to kind of deal with that sense of authority and that sense of influence and make sure that you're using it in the right way. As it doesn't take much looking around the world to see people who are absolutely passionate about their position of power. And when they come to Jesus, they've got to deal with how they are using their power. Because Jesus said, whoever is going to be great and exercise true power in the kingdom is going to be the servant of everybody. You're going to go to the lowest place. You're going to wash feet if you want to be significant in my kingdom. Some people come to Jesus from a position of having been obsessed with getting more stuff. I want to follow Jesus but I also want to be wealthy. And Jesus just says, choose. You cannot serve both God and mammon and wealth. You will find yourself loving one and hating the other. So choose which one's it going to be. Some of us find that difficult. Some of us want our relationships on our own terms. Some of us want to have infatuations with who we want. We want to have sex with who we want. And we want to do it in a way that is defined by our culture or by our own standards. And they come to Jesus, and Jesus stands by this ancient piece of writing that you can see right from Genesis that says, man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You step outside of that, and Jesus calls it adultery between the eyes or lust. Some of us don't like that. We come to Jesus with an agenda. Some of us just want an easy, self-centered life. I think we've all been in that camp at one time or another. And we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, will you just make my life easier? Will you make it better? Will you make me more comfortable? This is a very human thing to feel. And Jesus says, if anyone's to be my follower, I want you to deny yourself, pick up your cross, And follow me. 
there are lots of people, reasons why people want to come to Jesus and find ways to discredit him, to come against his words, because we come with our cultural agendas. And the Pharisees were in that same camp. He was upsetting their philosophy and their power and their lifestyles. He was becoming a real problem because of these beautiful miracles that he was doing. There was something about the power and the grace and the beauty of the way that Jesus lived. And, and the life of God was spilling out of him everywhere, which gave weight to his words. And his words were challenging the very construct of, of their systems and, and the way that they wanted to live. So he was a problem for them. And therefore, they'd been dispatched from Jerusalem to find anything they could to discredit him. And the only thing they could find is that they weren't washing their hands properly. I mean, that's not a lot, is it? Yeah, I found something. You guys are not washing your hands. And Jesus, it seems like he just kind of reacts to them, and then he just comes with a sort of one-two, with like a, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right about you. And it seems like he's just kicking off, and he's just sounding off to them, and he's just angry. But what I need us to see this morning is there's so much more to it than that. If we're going to understand how Jesus responds to the Pharisees who are coming with their, with their cultural lenses, with their agendas, you need to go to Isaiah. Because these Pharisees knew Isaiah word for word. They knew it off by heart. In order to become part of the, the, the Pharisees, you had to know from a very young age the whole of Isaiah word for word, off by heart. You had to stand up in the synagogue and recite it. They knew every single verse in Isaiah. They knew what came before the verse that Jesus quoted, and they knew everything that came after. So when Jesus called them hypocrites and, qu and quoted that verse, there was a whole lot more that he was communicating to them that they would have immediately understood from Isaiah that we need to catch up with if we're going to understand what Jesus meant. Okay, So turn to Isaiah and chapter 29. This, for me, is a little bit mind-blowing. So I, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29 and verse 13, And so the Lord says, These people say that they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Next verse, verse 14, Because of this, I will once again astound these hypocrites. Don't you love that? So Jesus is saying, I want to show you what's going on here. I want to show you what's happening. I want you to zoom out and see from God's perspective, as spoken through the prophet, exactly what's going on in this moment right now. Because of this, I will once again astound the hypocrites with what? Amazing wonders. He's referring back to the very thing that's unsettled them. That there is a time coming when I'm going to astound the hypocrites with amazing wonders. The wisdom of the wise will pass away. The intelligence of the intelligent will disappear. Jesus is saying that's what's going on right now. Then he gives them a warning. What sorrow awaits those who try to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their evil deeds in the dark. 
The Lord can't see us, they say. He doesn't know what's going on. These guys are already starting to plot the downfall of Jesus in, in secret places. And Jesus is saying, I see what you're doing. God sees what you're doing. How foolish can you be, verse 16. Here's the potter, and he's certainly greater than you, the clay. Remember who you are. Should the created thing say to the one who made it, he didn't make me? Does a jar ever say, the potter who made me is stupid? Soon, and it won't be very long, the forests of Lebanon will become a fertile field, and the fertile field will yield bountiful crops. I'm doing a new thing. In that day, what's going to happen? The deaf will hear words read from a book. The blind will see through the gloom and the darkness. The humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. The poor will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Wow, that stepped it up a little bit. He's saying, open your eyes, look around, see everything that's going on around me. This is going to happen at the arrival of the Holy One of Israel. So these Pharisees are listening to this one verse from Isaiah, and what they're hearing is, he's just basically claimed to be the Holy One of Israel. They're that switched on, they're that fast, they are scholars. So he's standing there, not, he's referring to everything that's going on, he's saying, do you not understand who it is that's in your midst? This is a messianic claim right now. And then he says this, verse 20, the scoffer, will be gone. The arrogant will disappear, and those who plot evil will be killed. That's a warning. Those who convict the innocent by their false testimony will disappear, and a similar fate awaits for those who, who use trickery to pervert justice and who tell lies to destroy the innocent. What a wake-up call. That is why the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the people, of Israel. My people will no longer be ashamed or turn pale with fear. This is a, a, an assertion that I'm not afraid of you. And then these last two verses are stunning if, if you just see, can see the grace of God in them. For when they see their many children and the blessing I have given them, they will recognize the holiness of the Holy One of Israel. They will stand in awe of the God of Jacob. Then the wayward will gain understanding, and the complainers will accept instruction. There is this beautiful word of grace at the end of this passage from Isaiah, which is giving them, it's like a, a little chink in the door that they can walk through, that if they choose to acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Israel that is standing before them, which is so clear for everybody else to see, there is a way back there is a way that they can begin to gain understanding. There is a way that they can even start to receive instruction. This amounts to actually a call to discipleship. Jesus is saying, you, you've come here to try and destroy me. But let me show you what's going on right now. Let me show you your agenda. And let me show you what's actually happening and who I am. And now, if you are willing to acknowledge this holiness that is going on in front of you, I will give you an opportunity to follow me. That is stunning. They're plotting his death, and he's saying, follow me. How much grace does Jesus have? And we've seen this in different times in church history, where someone who's been trying to tear down the church, and God has got through to them in such a way, 
as to turn their hearts to become aware of what's going on and then start to follow Jesus and become an amazing instrument for God in this world. Paul the Apostle is an obvious example. He was an arch persecutor of God's people with this really murderous agenda. And God just showed him. He showed him his blindness first and then showed him the truth and then said, right, come on, we've got work to do. So you may be coming to Jesus with all kinds of agendas this morning. You may be coming to try and prove your points. You may be coming to try and defend a lifestyle that you are precious about. And you may be opposing Jesus and his direct words for your life. That might be where you're at right now. You're just kind of kicking against the word of God. I don't want to say there's hope for you. Jesus can cope with that. He can show you where you're missing the point. He can show you where your, st- your eyes still haven't been opened. And he is more than gracious enough to give you an opportunity to see and to follow, which is so beautiful. So this is the first group, those who are opposing Jesus. The second group, let's jump back to Mark chapter 7. The second group is the crowd. Just read the last bit that he says to the Pharisees. This is what you do, he says. You ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own traditions. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and everyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you, and in this way you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your tradition. And this is only one of many examples amongst others. If God wants to show you your folly, he's quite happy to workshop it for you. He's quite happy to say, this is what you do, and to show you the, the, the mess in your life. He doesn't leave them guessing as to what he's getting at. He makes it really clear. Clarity is so important. If we, if we cannot see the reality, our broken reality, we can't deal with it, right? It's like if you've got an alcohol problem and you go to AA, the first thing you've got to do is say, hi, this is me, I have an alcohol problem. And then there's a way to start moving out of that situation. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear All of you listen. Are we listening? He said, He said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. So, this was uh, a, a confrontation with the Pharisees that turns into a crowd teaching moment. He's like, This is too good to let this go by. I've actually, I want you all to understand something. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. It's not, it's not your, your, your rules and regulations that cut you off from God and from one another and, to, and ruin your life, fill your life with darkness. That's not it. He's asking them to grow up. He's saying it's what comes from your heart. That's what truly defiles a person. And I want you to understand this. So he throws it out, just like a teaser. This is what his parables are like. He throws them out. They're not easily understood straight off the bat. You need God to show you what this means for your life, right? This is how discipleship works. So he throws it out. 
And then what, how did the crowd respond? We don't know. Because it doesn't say anything more about it. It doesn't say that they responded in any way at all. Thankfully, we've got another group that does respond. From verse 17, it says, Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd. Anyone ever want to get away from the crowd? I do sometimes. And his disciples asked him what is meant by the parable that he just used. Verse 18, don't you understand either? That either bit there tells me that the crowd didn't understand. They didn't move beyond the superficial words of Jesus, what they first heard on a surface level. They didn't go any deeper than that. They just heard them and went, hi, that sounds amazing. And that's it. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food that you put into your body cannot defile you? Food does not go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. And then Mark helps us out here. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. I'm going to come back to that. And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. Anyone got a bit of murder today? Um, Adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. This word defile is quite important, I think, in this narrative. What does it mean to be defiled? What does it mean to, what is Jesus getting at and trying to save us from? This word defile really means to be unclean, and it means to be separated from God and from the people of God, from the community of God. So people who uh, were defiled in Jesus' day had to go through purification rituals and often had to have a time of purification before they could re-enter society. It's a, it's a sort of profound uh, symbol or, or way of expressing something that goes on on the inside. Some of us have experienced what it feels like to be separated from God or what it feels like to, be, to feel like you're unacceptable amongst the people of God. When we've done something and the shame comes in and we feel like we've kind of fallen from grace and there is this kind of left out in the cold feeling. We, we found ourselves in this really unhappy territory where we feel like we've blown it. And rather than feeling at peace and full of light, we feel like we're kind of in a dark place. That's what defilement is, basically. Okay. And Jesus is saying, you're still feeling that sense of shame and that sense of disconnection through, all, through not being able to observe the do's and don'ts that you carry around with you. You're still looking to the rules to work out whether you're acceptable or not and whether to feel acceptable or not. And when you step outside of those really difficult lines, you feel like all of a sudden you've blown it. Whereas Jesus is saying, I want you to start to think of what separates you in a different way. Stop worrying so much about the do's and don'ts and keeping the rules. Instead, start becoming aware of what is going on in your heart. 
Start asking the Holy Spirit to show you where there are things beginning to stir and to grow in your heart and to develop in your heart and deal with those things because it's those things, when they find expression, drive a wedge between you and God and drive a wedge between you and your Christian friends. I think as the disciples were listening, lights were going on. Yeah, actually, that's me. I need to be more worried about when uh, lust is beginning to grow in my heart or greed is beginning to take over or I'm beginning to spend all of my time envying what maybe somebody else has that I don't have. That is actually what is screwing me up and starting to ruin my relationships and, and, and it's getting in between me and God. It's not whether I've accidentally eaten a ham sandwich. Does that make sense? This is for a Jew, obviously. (laughs) <laughs> we can get a really funny idea about what, what, what God can cope with and what he can't and what God wants to deal with and what he's not actually that bothered about and he can cope with. It's what begins to grow within us that ultimately will damage those relationships and leaving us, leave us feeling out in the cold. Jesus is saying those are the things that defile you. I love these last two examples. So when Jesus speaks, as he did to the crowd, they did nothing with it. They heard the words, they sounded profound, and they moved on. And I think all of us can be this way. We can easily hear the words of Jesus on a daily basis as we open our Bibles, as we come to God in prayer. We can we can engage with our Bible notes. We can engage with the passage for that day. We can engage with God and we can say, okay, that was nice. Close the Bible, move on. And it hasn't really had any effect on our lives whatsoever. We can be those people. We can be like the disciples that go a little bit deeper and we dare to say, God, I've just read this. I don't really know what it means. Can you just show me what this actually means? And Jesus is frustrated with them because he's like, you should know. You, sh- you have access to the same Holy Spirit that I am moving in. That The Spirit can show you this. Okay? And so he's a little bit frustrated because he wants them to be mature. He wants them to be quick to take it up. He wants the Holy Spirit to be powerfully at work in them. And sometimes they can be very just uh, simple and unresponsive to the Holy Spirit. So he's got a little bit of frustration there, but he still loves the fact that they've asked enough to be able to give them a deeper answer. We can be those kind of people when we come to Jesus. But there's one more stage that I think we can go to. It struck me that as, as Jesus was with this intimate group trying to explain this saying that he had just thrown out to the crowd, Peter was in the room. And Peter would have, would have had the message at this moment in Mark 7 that God had declared all food to be clean from this point onwards. Mark tells us that's what Jesus was saying. That's how they understood it. And yet it wasn't until the book of Acts that Peter is up on the rooftop praying and fasting, and God has to show him this vision of a sheep being lowered down from heaven with all kinds of animals. And he has to say to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. How many times does he have to say that to Peter? Three times he does the same thing in the vision. Uh, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I will never, I've never eaten any of that. 
It's never going to pass my lips. Far be it from me to eat something which is unclean. And and the Holy Spirit says, right, let's go again. Lowers the sheep down. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I would never dream of it. Three times this happens, and then he wakes up from this incredible spiritual experience. And then a thought dawns to him. Maybe, just maybe, that God has declared things that I've previously understood as unclean to be clean. He finally gets the message. This is a couple of years after this point, when he first was given the message, and Jesus was frustrated that he didn't pick it up first time. How much grace is there in Jesus to teach us? When, it, when he, he spells things out to us, and we get a revelation sometimes. This was a revelation to the group of disciples that were alone with Jesus. And they, they heard it, and they were like, wow, that's profound. That's blown my mind. I can't believe we're in a completely different season. And things that have been spoken long ago and, uh, have now been transformed in their meaning. And we're entering into a new reality with Jesus. Wow! And yet there was a pull back to the cultural expectations from his youth. And it took him two or three years of still the, the spirit not being able to get through. And then three times the vision on the roof. And it was only then that the penny dropped. And God got through to him enough that he could have a whole life transformation and become the man that was ready to open the gospel to the Gentiles. You and I can be like Peter. To be honest, as long as I get there in the end, I don't care that much how long it takes. As long as I'm not like the crowd that just listens and goes, hey, that sounds great, and moves on, and no change whatsoever. In fact, I think they're probably in the worst position in all of this. They just kind of like the daily tidbit from Jesus, and then they don't change. They just kind of coast, feeling like they're on the in crowd, and actually they're not listening on a spiritual level. I don't want to be like that. I believe that God wants to bring us transformation through the word that is supposed to be whole life transformation to the point where where, where we're a walking example of a radical new reality. That's what Jesus was trying to gift to his disciples back in Mark 7. But actually what Peter then stepped into in the book of Acts when he goes to Cornelius' house in chapter 10. I want to see if I can shorten the period between when God speaks to me and and shows me something and when I can be different. Because I believe God wants us to be transforming, always transforming disciples as we come to Jesus. So, let's finish up. Let's just take a moment before we break bread together just to consider what is my approach to Jesus right now? If I'm really honest, what is my hang-up? Do I have a secret agenda? I'm unable to hear the words of Jesus as a hungry disciple ready to change. I'm unable to do that because I've got these issues that I'm still hung up about. If that's you, just know that God wants to reach you and that the way of discipleship is not closed to you. But he will expose it and he will give you a warning saying, don't go that way. And he will put his arm around you and say, right, come on. We're going to go towards the kingdom together. So some of us need to repent. Some of us need to acknowledge that we have hang-ups that we need to drop if we're going to truly understand what Jesus is saying to us.
and to open our eyes and see the beauty of Jesus, that lives around us are transforming and we have things to learn, things to understand. We want to understand how to follow Jesus. So if that's you, just take, just take some time to be honest and bring those things out. Say, Jesus, this is my hang-up. And I want you to show me how to get over it. And I want to learn to trust you in spite of it. Take me through to that place where I can fully understand, as you did with Peter. Some of us need to learn how to come back and to dig deeper. Rather than just having the daily word for the day that tickles our ears, but we stick with it. I had a picture as I was preparing of somebody walking out into a potato field and kicking the surface bit of earth and thinking, well, I can't really see any potatoes here and walking away again. When a little bit of digging and you find what you're looking for. I believe that God has got treasure for us to find, but you've got to dig for it. You've got to tarry with the word until it yields the treasure. You can't run on too quickly. Get to, get to the point where your daily bread you have, is fully tasted and fully received. And, it, and, and the day feels empty without it. And that sometimes will take longer than you want it to. And take more digging than you want it to. But let's be those disciples that are willing to, to get alone in the room and say, hey God, I still don't understand. Show me what this means for my life. And let's also be those who are so open to the Holy Spirit that even if it takes two or three big visions to transform us. We are in the position ready for transformation. We're in the position ready for the Spirit to do something profound in our lives and to, to move us from glory to glory. Let's not level off where we are. God has got far more to show us. So whichever position you're in right now, let's just bring it before, before the Lord and say, God, we, we can only come to you as we are. But with your word and with the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we can continue to grow as these world-changing disciples with you and to understand you at the, at the deepest level. Help us to shorten that gap between hearing your word and transformation by the power of your Holy Spirit. And now as we come to celebrate communion, it's about celebrating your presence. It's about celebrating your sacrifice that you have paid all that we might receive all. Lord, it's about you being willing to be broken so that we could share in who you are. It's about you giving everything so we can receive deeply within our lives that which you are. You want us to receive your life and to be changed. And so prepare our hearts, Lord God. Lord, as we break bread together now, I pray that you would meet us wherever we are. Lead us on from this position. We don't want to stay here. Jesus, on the nights that he was betrayed, he took bread. And with his friends and before them, he broke it. And he said, take it, eat it. This, my body, is given for you. And after supper... He took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new relationship between me and you. It is, it is a, a, a covenant that is ratified in my blood. Drink from it, all of you, in remembrance of me. And thus he established this discipleship relationship that we are to enjoy in this world. 
I want to invite you all to come when you're ready. Just take a few moments just to say, Lord, show me where I am right now. Show me how I approach you right now. And allow the Lord to do a work in your heart. And as you come to receive communion, let's receive it by faith that God has met us where we are. God is present where we are. And he is willing to walk out of this situation wherever we are in a new way with a wide open door of favor and a blessing of his Holy Spirit. Amen.